Hey, yo, what's going on, everybody? It's episode 195 of the Audible Farm podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Couchtown Coffee. I drink Couchtown Coffee every morning. It's my favorite coffee. The only time I don't drink it is when I run out and then I have to drink something else. And it just reminds me how much I enjoy Couchtown Coffee. It's roasted right here in Iowa. Go to CouchtownCoffee.com. Find a coffee you like. Make an order. And when you do, let them know Audible Farm sent you. And they'll give you 20% off. Why? Because Couchtown Coffee is that awesome. Thanks, Couchtown. This week, I'm sitting down with Jacob Williamson. Jacob is somebody that a lot of people in my area knew who he was before I did. Uh, mostly just because I came into the music scene a little late uh, in my area. But he grew up in the north central Iowa area and then traveled uh, to go to AIM, which is the Atlanta Institute of Music. And he graduated from there. He's had a lot of adventures since then. And we go over a handful of them in this episode. I kind of wanted to pick his brain on a few things like... uh, I don't know. How do you get so good? <laughs> exactly. But I mean, it's the, it's the obvious answer that always comes back around. You got to practice. You got to practice. But uh, having the drive to do all that practicing to get that good is something that should never be undersold. Uh, I mean, anyone could practice anything and get good at it and not have the heart to want to play things. But Jacob is obviously one of those people that has the drive to want to go do these things. He's He's very, very good at bass. I've heard him play all sorts of stuff. Uh, one of the most insane things is uh, he plays bass with Jesse Wilson on occasion when Jesse pulls uh, full band shows. And we've played songs that uh, he'll just be like, you know the leads to this? And I'm like, I actually don't know the lead guitar part to this. And he says, I know it on bass. And it's like, uh, go ahead and play it. So we'll play like, I don't know, Sweet Child of Mine or something. And he's just rocking all the bass lines out and stuff. And uh, he's pulled bass solos on other songs just for fun. He's so talented. It's so fun to get to sit down and talk with him. I had a blast in this episode. We talk about, like I said, his music education. Uh, We talk about a few of his travels after going to AIM and uh, and then coming back to the Fort Dodge area. I I bet this guy is just going to keep going out there and just crushing it one way or the other. He's super, super talented. It is uh, just absolutely mind-blowing that there's this many talented musicians in the North Central Iowa area. Um, I don't know what it is about Fort Dodge, but they're just breeding some of the best bass players ever in the entire state. Uh, hands down, it's just mind-blowing. Uh, <laughs> I've got the opportunity to play with a handful of really good bassists over the past few years, and Jacob's one of them. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one. It's an amazingly fun talk. Sitting down with my buddy, Jacob Williamson. It's the Audible Farm Podcast. With your host... Peter Stockdale. Sitting down today. Do you want to go by Jake or Jacob? Jacob. Jacob. Is there a reason? I don't like being called Jake. That's a good enough reason for me. All right, I'm sitting down today talking with Jacob Williamson. And uh, I actually had like no clue who you were until like three or four months ago. Which, does that seem weird to you? Do you feel like somebody, like, how does somebody in the music scene not know who I am? Like, I mean, not to be like, you're not a braggadocious person, so like. I was gone for four years. Yeah, okay. And I was <laughs> 21 when I left and just kind of didn't go out, so. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, after hearing the story, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, like he's, 
he's not new to the scene, but he just came back. And like, there were a lot of people that, that knew who you were when you came back. And I'm like, does everybody know this guy? And it's like, oh, I keep forgetting I'm kind of the new guy in the scene because I've only been playing guitar for like, well, out and about for like five years. I feel like we've probably met beforehand too. That might be a thing. Because I was in Stealing Candy and I know that they played with you a few times. Okay. Or at least with Three Finger Betty. I don't know if you were yeah from the beginning or not um i've been with them for like five or six years so anytime in that time span that probably happens so that's kind of wild like i wonder how many people i've actually like possibly interacted with or been in the same building with that i don't know i have yet or Mm -hmm. or something like that it's pretty wild so well let's start at the beginning so like you said you uh left fort dodge but like what what did you start playing? Were you just, did you play music growing up or did you play piano or were, was it like trumpet in school or nope. none I of that? I did not start playing until high school. I wanted to growing up, but my parents wanted an athlete, so. Yeah. Were uh, you were you a good athlete? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then I broke my arm in a snowboarding accident, bugged my parents for a guitar for Christmas, and then finally got it and wasn't able to play it because I was still in a cast. Oh, no. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. So you just had to, like, sit there with a guitar and not play it? I still learned it. Okay, all right. I learned how to play, like, Ode to Joy, like, the the one note at a time thing, mm-hmm. as every beginner does. Yeah. Because I couldn't close my hand. I mean, so how do you, how do you function? Like, does that have, like, af- after effects from, like, permanently? Or... I can't play violin anymore. I played... I started playing violin my sophomore or junior year of high school and had to get surgery done on that same arm. Mm-hmm. And I can't bend my wrist like that anymore. Oh, they crazy. they do the really far stretches. Yeah, yeah. You get like all weird and angled off with their fingers mm-hmm. and stuff. That's crazy. I guess I didn't know you played violin. So how many instruments have you played? Let me ask you that. Like, to some extent or another. So like for... Uh, for me, it'd be like, you know, bass, guitar, ukulele. Like, those would be the three I would say I have, like, experience with. That's it. Like, I mean, I played a mandolin, but I'm not good at it. I started on guitar, and then I started playing bass a year later. And then I started playing violin a year later. So I guess it was my junior year I started. And then I joined the marching band, and I played percussion. I learned piano in college at Iowa Central. I didn't have to do any of that down in Georgia. Um... I've got a ukulele upstairs. I took classical singing lessons for a couple of years. Oh, that's crazy. So so maybe you should be doing the background singing with Jesse, not no, me? No, those days are long gone. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> okay, well. well. <laughs> so what got you interested in the violin? It seems like a crazy jump, because most people are just like, I want to play the guitar, I'm going to rock, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm metal or I'm punk, or like, you know, they have that whole feeling, but like it seems like a weird avenue to take to go to violin i was really into ailstorm okay all right makes sense so yeah. that was pretty much it yeah. honestly and i like have always listened to people like john williams and hans zimmer yep so the way that they make music to me is that's like the top of the top for me yes so i feel like a lot of people get experience with like horn instruments like woodwinds and brass winds and etc you know but there's not a whole lot of stringed like bowed instruments like you would normally see in like a symphony so i always viewed that kind of stuff as just like mystical and magical you know it's like 
I had cousins that played the violin and they were good at it, but it was still like, I don't know how people do this. There's no markings on it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, right. it's kind of mind blowing. Well, the other thing was that I wanted to play upright bass. Okay. We were not going to spend that much money on an upright oh, bass. Oh yeah, $478,000 for a used one or whatever the and, heck it costs. And for some reason, my parents were like, well, we'll just get him a violin instead. No, I don't works, know if I it's because they look the same and one's just like a lot smaller or what the deal is. Maybe they were just like, we'll get in this cool miniature stand-up bass. And it's just, and then they were like surprised that it wasn't just a novelty item. That that's, could how, be, that's how I got my U, my U-bass. U-bass? Let me see here. Oh, the upright bass? No, it's literally a ukulele with ukulele. bass strings on it. Okay. Okay. I don't know if I've seen that before. I'll, I'll show you before okay. you leave today. All right. All right. That sounds good. Oh, man, that's crazy. So, I mean, like, it's kind of cool that you you seem to have a personality where it's like, I want to learn how to do this, or I'm interested in this, I'm just going to go do it, and then you go do it. So, like, that kind of lends itself to being, you know, I when I first was introduced to you, like, watching you play, I was like, oh, this guy's really good, and I found out you went to school for it and stuff. But it kind of explains that, that drive that you have. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people that want to be musicians, but there's not a lot of people that want to actually go to school for it, you know? So... Let's talk about that. What led up to you deciding you wanted to go to school for this? I tried community. I went from high school just to working a job up in Minnesota. Was not there very long. Realized I hated it. Wanted to go to school because I wanted to be in a band and be around other musicians. So I went to community college. Realized none of the musicians there wanted to do anything band-wise. Most of them wanted to be music teachers. I Mm -hmm. didn't want to be a music teacher. So, and I did not want to do all of the, like, core classes. I didn't like math or science or anything like that at the time. Um, And I knew that AIM had a one-year program Mm -hmm. where I could just focus on bass and nothing else. Okay, all right. Basically, I didn't go to college to get anything out of it. I just went to college to, like, be a better musician and to meet more people. Yeah, honestly, though, the music department at, at Iowa Central has always been pretty good, though. So it is really good, and Paul's a great teacher. Yeah, it's it's always been, like I said, there's just always seems to be a... It's weird because it's, it's small because it's a community college, and I'm so used to seeing, like, the whole high school, like, being right. up for band or whatever, but you go to college and not everyone does it, but it's pretty stellar what they're able, what they're able to pull off there, so it's, it's pretty wild. Plus, they it's not just, like, concert band, marching band, that stuff. They have all the ancillary classes you can take like music theory and things like that, which is pretty cool. And that class was what led me to wanting to go to aim. I, I will have to say it was the most intriguing class I took in high school was uh, like college intro to music theory. It was like the one one class of music theory. Well, so I wanted, I knew I wanted to study music, but I didn't want to study classical music. Mm-hmm. I wanted to study jazz. I wanted to know stuff that I could apply more I don't want to say realistically, but like if I'm on a gig and I have to just wing it, mm-hmm. I need to know how to just wing it. And I feel like a lot of classical players is on the page. And I can read music. Like That's also crazy to me. <laughs> I studied music, reading music, super intense when I was there. Because all the gigs I got out of school were sight reading gigs. Mm, sight reading sheet music. Yep. Which, which is weird because I, I was okay enough with the trumpet to kind of sort of pull it off you know like i can still read sheet music and i can still play a trumpet well enough that if i practiced i could pull it off but i just recently started giving bass lessons to somebody that wanted to learn sheet reading bass and i was like 
oh man so i like had to like pull up some jazz like beginners jazz based mm-hmm. stuff and i'm like here we go and it's not it's not super difficult but it's not super easy though it's one of those things where people make it sound a lot scarier than it is especially as a bass player where most of the time you're not playing more than one note at a time mm-hmm. um I don't like tablature. I've never liked tablature. <laughs> okay, so th- why do you think that is? Because I, I, I have a guess, but... Why I don't like tablature? Yeah. Feels like the easy way out a lot of the time. And it, it's more for me personally. And a lot of the time, I grew up going to Ultimate Guitar. Okay, yep. And then I started trying to make my ear better to the point where I could hear everything. Mm-hmm. And I realized that a lot of it was just wrong. Okay. And the other thing with it, in my opinion, is is I play a six-string bass. Mm-hmm. Unless it's going lower than a B, I don't drop my bass for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm reading sheet music, I don't need to retune my instrument most of the time. Oh, yeah, you don't have to like, mentally think about... Like, oh, this is somebody with a drop, you know, drop tuned bass instead Mm -hmm. of, okay, so that makes tons of sense. I was thinking, like, the biggest thing that I always got out of, like, tablature or, like, showing students tablature, because it's just, like, here's an easy way to get an idea of what a song's, like, basic structure is, you know? But, like, it doesn't show you any rhythm. Right. And that's the one thing that they always come back with is, like, how do I know how to play this? I'm like, you just have to hear it and then repeat that on the instrument, but, like... All the notes are there, but there's no punctuation to tell you what's... That's the double-edged sword with it, though, because that's going to train your ear in a different way. Yeah. Because you have to be able to hear what those notes, what the, those rhythms are. Mm-hmm. I guess my only, my biggest thing is on an academic level, like if you plan on going to school for music, you need to know how to read music. If you don't know when you get there, you need to at least know the basics before you leave. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so you said you went to school for music uh, one year at AIM, which is uh, Atlanta Institute of Music and Media. Okay, Institute of Music and Media. So that's I guess I didn't know they did media stuff there, but uh, so you said you chose it because you could do like a one year like only bass thing. But did you look at any other schools like before you went down there? Yeah, I got into Berkeley and Juilliard both. But oh, really? I didn't feel like paying that kind of money and they weren't going to give me a scholarship i paid for all my college myself so i would rather owe twenty thousand dollars than you know two hundred and fifty thousand dollars yeah yeah and uh i can't remember like just like two years ago i priced out berkeley just for fun and it was like i think it was right around a quarter million well and i'm not dogging on berkeley because a lot of my good friends are there but when I went there to audition, I met a bunch of people. And then when I went down to AIM, I met a bunch of people. Weren't really a whole lot of differences. You had the people who wanted to be there and were dedicated, and the people who wanted to be there to say that they went there. Okay, okay. Because, I mean, t- to some extent, like, I guess, like, that might think, makes me think, like, is it because they're too talented they don't need to be there or they're just there because they're bored and have the time and money or in my opinion it's there's a lot of money being backed to them okay like they've got they have a support system that's willing to pay for 
a lot of their schooling. Okay. And, I mean, I, I guess it's... Are there people of all ages there? Yes. Okay, so, like, I'm just throwing it out there. Like, if I just, like, quit my job and practiced for a year straight and got really good and did an audition and got in, like, I could get in as a 30-something-year-old. Yeah. Nice. That's pretty cool. Okay, so my dream's not quite dead yet. Yeah, it's, Car- it's, it's a Tunnel hasn't set in yet, so... <laughs> That's pretty sweet. I guess I didn't know that you went there and tried out at, at different schools. Uh, I mean, everyone's heard of Berkeley. I mean, it's like, you know, this Steve Vai school or whatever, you know, so, like, everyone's been there. And we know people that have graduated from there that are, like, right in town here. And I will have to say, like, all the musicians that I've met that have graduated from there, like, crazy, weirdo good. Mm-hmm. But how... it's a fo- Is it a four-year or a two-year? Berkeley? Yeah. It's four. It's four. It's a bachelor's. Woo! That's a lot of time to be spending mastering an instrument. And that was my thing, is I wanted to get in and out as fast as I could so I could go gig faster. And make sense. it a full-time thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean... If the end game is to use it as to be your job, why wouldn't you want to just get it done as fast as possible and go out there and make the money? If, mm-hmm. if the end result is going to be the same, or you're going to get out of it what you wanted anyways, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so what was like the the coolest part about going to AIM then? It's going to sound super cheesy, but honestly, meeting all my roommates was there mm-hmm. because we, in my opinion, were the four that took it, like, up mm-hmm. seriousness wise. Like, all of us strived to be the top of where we were at. I, I, I only graduated with one one other bass player. Oh, really? So, it was, he did his thing, I did my thing. He was more into the production side of things. Mm-hmm. He went for, like, the media side of it while taking bass classes. I was strictly bass, and my roommates were the biggest thing. Meeting some of the teachers there was just unreal, like... Every teacher that teaches at that school is a monster. <laughs> and hearing stories about... Because I went because of Tosin. Okay. I went to that school because of Tosin Abasi. Tosin Abasi. Yeah, I guess that's another like weird one. I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but he plays guitar like in the Wooten style, which is like kind of wild. And for people that don't know, it's, it's Victor Wooten and his brother... Reggie. Reggie. Uh, one of them kind of sat down and like showed him reggie showed it to victor so yeah so that was the whole deal was like somehow or another it gets around to toast and and it became his style and it's kind of a, a crazy thing i guess i didn't know that toast went to aim oh yeah he hmm. went there and Devin taylor who drums for justin bieber went there pretty sure he went there um yeah those guys were the main reasons i went that's cool. I mean, that's Justin Bieber's drummer is one of the reasons you went. He's a beast, dude. All right, all right, I'll take it. His whole his whole band, dude. I'm telling you, they are <laughs> wild musicians. Okay, so let me let's let brings up another topic that I'm going to sidetrack on. Uh, you knowing what goes into the music industry, and I'm sure you can like watch TV and just be like, I've seen that guy before. Or, like you know, I've I've was at a, a seminar with that dude, or whatever it happens to be. You could probably find a few here and there that you can be like that how how much do you think that people undersell just like regular studio like musicians that you see on tv where it's like well it's not james hetfield from metallica so you know all the time all the time honestly people don't a lot of people don't understand what actually goes into a big production like that especially and i keep talking about him but justin bieber's is undeniably 
intense. Yeah. Same thing with Bruno Mars. He, I oh, yeah. don't yep. remember what show it was. Like he was on some fashion show, and their band rewrote the ending to Twenty Four Karat Magic, and it's it's super intense. Like there's a lot that goes into it, and I think those people don't get the credit they need. Yeah, I mean, it kind of I don't want to say it sucks, but it does kind of suck that like some of those people are are just unknowns, and they're just unfortunately going to be unknowns, right? Which it's kind of weird that that's the way the music industry works. So like having at least a little peek into it, gone to school for it, kind of possibly having interacted with some of these people. Does it, did it like ever sour you off at any point where it's like, well, I, I understand that like, there's nobody's going to get to the top of the mountain here probably, but there's definitely ways to make money. So I can at least, you know, still make some money doing this. Was it, was it ever like a feeling like that, that you kind of ran into or did you still kind of maintain that like childhood bliss of, I had a different outlook on it, I guess, because everybody's mountaintop's different. Okay. I didn't want to do that stuff. Okay. I've never really had the interest of being, like, a band leader, which, like, a lot of bass players are. I know Andrew Goucher is for Snoop Dogg. Okay. Um, That's never what I wanted. I wanted to be an artist on my own, Mm -hmm. whether money was being made or not. Okay. So, how much... uh how much of that have you done then? Like, I know that you you had sent me one song that you had recorded, and you said you're not really, like, too big of a fan of, like, finishing whole songs because you kind of have that same anxiety feeling where you get stuff, like, partially done, and you're like, ah, I'll finish this later. It's I need to fix a couple things, and then it kind of just gets put on the shelf. So, like, how much of that came to fruition in that sense then, that you just kind of wanted to do your own thing and become an artist in some capacity or another? I have a ton of music that's just not released. Yep. Because I just never really got around to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I had released an e- an acoustic EP with a friend of mine <clears throat> before I went to AIM. Took it down. It was really inappropriate. I didn't want it to mm-hmm. mess with my image at the school, like yep. on a professional level. Um. But I would, a lot of the times I would still rather, like, I want to be an artist, but I want to help other people write their music too. Mm-hmm. Like, I did a lot of that at Muscle Shoals. Okay. When I was doing a country album there with a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I guess, does that answer your question a little bit? Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, it just brings up, just brings me, like, right to another question. So uh, you mentioned Muscle Shoals. So... Uh, for those that don't know, Muscle Shoals recording studio, pretty famous, gets mentioned in songs. Uh, just hit Google, you'll f- you'll figure it out real quick. So, you you graduate from school. Is it just like instantly? You're just like, I'm gonna go find a job at a studio, or like I'm gonna go try and join a band, or like what? I want to eventually lead up to like you getting to be at Muscle Shoals. Like so, like where did we go? Where's the space in between those two? I went to, I actually went there my first time when I was still in school. I had to take a week off to go cut a country record. Okay. <laughs> Crazy. Um, a friend of mine who actually lives in State Center okay. got a hold of me mm-hmm. and was like, hey, I'm going to go down there and I need a bass player. Like, can you come and do this? And then from there, I just started meeting a bunch of people. I ended up going back to see him again and finishing the record, mm-hmm. uh, I want to say a year later or six months later or something like that. And then when I graduated school, one of my teachers needed a bassist for his corporate band. Okay. Um, 
most nervous I've ever been in my life because it was all sight reading. Oh, they had a list of like 200 something songs and didn't say what songs we were going to do. And I had maybe two months to figure it out. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Bombed. Oh no. <laughs> so what is this corporate band? Like what does that entail? What is a corporate band? I played a lot of weddings. Okay. Like big, big weddings. So you're literally like, it's almost like a, just like straight up business only band. That's exactly what it is. Holy cow. So you're just like, do you have like people running it or was the musicians being the only people that ran it? What do you mean? Did, were the musicians like in charge of all the business and the bookings and all that stuff? Or was it like a booking agency? Had we had a, a booking agency. Okay. All right. So you were, you were still like an autonomous band that like had a booking agency kind of backing you. Yeah. I was wondering if this was just some kind of like musicians for hire where it's like this company's got like 50 musicians on retainer and they just slam people together and like sight read this and go play it or is yeah, that even a thing that was kind of, i mean it wasn't exactly it but that's kind of what it was because Ooh. a lot of the people in this band like didn't know most of these songs the mm-hmm. band leader we had at the time knew all of them because okay. he'd been doing it forever Makes the sense. rest of us they had either been in it and got out or like in my case i had never been in it okay so it was basically everybody read the sheet music make eye contact if something goes wrong we got to figure it out yeah 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 i mean i feel like the first times i ever played anything like that like you're playing sheet music so you kind you're beholden to what is on the sheet music but like the first time i ever did anything like that was just kind of like going to jam nights and things like that where it's like here's the chords you know figure it out like you've heard the song and it's like okay right <laughs> and then that's that's what you get and so you kind of like it's nerve-wracking and it's tough and it's like it's a like you said it's a weird feeling when everybody kind of gets off and then you got to figure out how do we all get back on together you know and i mean it's definitely a learned trait once you get kind of good at it and mm-hmm. you get good at it but the other thing is once you play with the same people enough like you just all get good at it together you know? right so it's six of one half dozen of the other but that's that's super crazy what what was your take on like playing with a corporate band was it was it difficult was it kind of tough not having any autonomy over what gets to be played at all or i thought it was great because i didn't have to do anything i just had to learn the music and show up i actually think that i i get it it's like simplicity you know but i fell into a hole with it where i became complacent okay and i was okay with that and eventually when covid finally hit in 2020 okay it kind of snapped me out of it and i was like well this is not what i got here this isn't what i'm here to do like because i was so busy i did that and then i had a job and i was teaching at the college and Mm -hmm. it just became too much so the disconnect is is you're not getting to create stuff or you're just too busy all the time? It was not having enough time to create. And if I wanted to, basically it was my day job mm-hmm. that paid better okay. at the time or the gigs. And the gigs I think would have been the main choice if I would have been able to stay in the state more. Okay. So, so, like, where all did you go with this band? Was it just down in Georgia, or...? So, we did all the way out to Baton... We did Baton Rouge. We did North and South Carolina. We did Florida. We did a lot of Alabama. Okay, holy so cow. So, it was, like, 
the the entire southeast. Yeah, and it wasn't a one day thing. Like nine times out of ten, even if you got home on the same day, you had to take the next day to recover. Oh man, that'd be crazy. Yeah, I mean, long jaunt there, finish your stuff, long jaunt back. That's like a twenty four hour day. So yeah. holy cow, that's wild. So you were talking about the difference between playing kind of what's there for you and creating something for yourself, like as a musician. So like that's a term I've heard of people use where like, it's the difference between like a musician and an artist where like, uh, like an, like an artist is somebody that will like go out there and like create stuff where like a musician is just somebody that plays what they're kind of told or whatever, whatever. We're all musicians in some sense or another and artist or not, whatever, uh, however you want to label it. But it does bring up a good point because I think that like when a lot of us grew up, a lot of people that grew up playing music were like, I play trumpet, I play, you know, whatever. And so that's all just sheet music. And then like there's a lot of those people that kept playing, grew up, and they're still really good. And they're in bands in their towns or their the community bands or whatever. But it's still like you have to just play what's there and you don't ever get to improv. And it makes me wonder how many people that still play trumpet into their you know, 30s, 40s, whatever, how many of them have ever tried to improv with a trumpet? And, like, is there any desire to improv? You know, like... But that's the difference, and it goes back to what I was saying between classical music and jazz. Oh, oh there you go. All right, yeah, that totally makes sense. Because you still have a roadmap with jazz. Yes. It, but it's, it's, in my opinion, it's a lot more open-hearted, open-minded. I <laughs> I still remember seeing like one of my first pieces of jazz music that like like I was like can we get like the jazz guitar for this and I'll try and play some jazz guitar like when we were in high school and it was just like bass chords like bass chords like yep. over open sheet music and I was like what do I do here and they're like that's jazz like you got to figure out what you're doing yep. it's like oh it's there's an outline but none of it's colored in so you got to color it all in usually they'll at least give you the melody uh it was pretty wild it was just I I was just like I can't play a guitar this well, so I'm out. <laughs> I was also like I was one of those kids that like played in high school and as soon as I like figured out how to play a power chord with distortion, I was just like, This is good enough for me and yeah. like that was as far as I learned and uh And on guitar that's how I am. Well, yeah. I put no effort into my guitar playing honestly anymore. It's bass is where I started to branch out because I could just play one note at a time. I didn't have to worry about any chords. All right, yeah, but you can play chords on a bass, though. You... That came later, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, so you played guitar first, then bass, yep. and then you decided to go bass, but you still played guitar the whole entire time you were going to aim then? Or no, it was just kind of like an ancillary instrument sometimes you'd pick up, or? Yeah, pretty, that, that, that one's more like it. Was it easy to apply what you were learning on the bass to the guitar? In some ways. Right. Um what was the easiest ways? Like, obviously, like, a handful of the shapes are going to be the same. Scale-wise, I mean, theory-wise, once you know it, I mean, it's one of those things where you know it, it's just a matter of sitting down and applying it mm -hmm. and, like, memorizing it. Um, I always was more interested in, like, textural guitar playing, though. And, like, I liked the jazz chords and stuff like that. I just never learned them. <laughs> uh, they're pretty funky. There's all... it's. Like, every day I'm scrolling through Facebook, I'll see a meme about jazz guitar chord, and it's just like somebody's fingers are in a knot. It's like, somebody's still sharing these? Like, yep. have we all seen these before? But it's true, though. They're, some of those jazz chords are super funky. So, 
I guess, yeah, the translation between the two is very, very easy because like the space, you know, the spacing of the notes apart from one another and the string spacing is, you know, note wise is pretty similar. But I, I, I bet there's like the transition where you're like, oh, I learned all this stuff on the bass to do all this funky stuff. Let's try and apply it to the guitar real quick. And then you're like, oh, I need to adjust for the fact that like the strings are thinner and I need to press less hard that, or whatever. Yeah, that's the hardest part is the actual physicality of it. Mm hmm. Because I never had an issue before, and then when I stopped playing ba- uh, guitar for a while, when I went back to it, now I bend everything out of tune. Because <laughs> you're, you know, you're so used to needing all the extra muscle to push everything. It's hilarious. You ever feel like when you're playing a guitar, that's like just feels like a toy? Most of the time, especially because I play a six string bass. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, you feel what six bass strings would feel like. Yeah. As opposed to six guitar strings, that makes me think. Uh, does like the guitar string, does it feel like one of those like uh, rolly cheese cutters, like kind of like uh, I don't know, like one of those things that like chops a, a hard boiled egg to put it on a like a chef salad? Is that what they feel like a to you? Bit. Just like thin little wires all stuck together. <laughs> That's hilarious. I. I've, it's so funny because I, I mean on the opposite I play guitar and sometimes I play bass and obviously I haven't spent as much time with guitars as you have with a bass but I recall like the first gig I did with a bass that was like a four hour gig I was like my like elbow hurts like so bad I've been I've played so many four hour gigs on a guitar it's like why is this that much different yep and it's literally just like a few inches and a little bit of oh it's so crazy but I mean is that something else that messes with you because you were talking about how your hand can't quite do some of the angles is it easier to hit them on a guitar or a bass that it doesn't really doesn't not, not really bother it doesn't really bother me so is that something that like ever came into play or was it just like adapt and overcome or you just it's like it just worked then like with the arm thing yeah well so when i got the surgery on my arm I was still playing bass. Like, I was still in a band. <laughs> okay. And it was the most ridiculous thing ever. And I'd just sit in my room and play because I was like, I'm not about to go, whatever it is, eight weeks, nine weeks, not playing. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. And when I got out of my cast, they weren't expecting me to be able to close my fist. Well, I had full mobility of my hand <laughs> when I took it off. So. They're <laughs> probably like, what the? <laughs> You know, what was supposed to be a couple months of physical therapy turned into two sessions. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, most of the time, it's not that way. Most of the time, every time, it, if it's going to change, it goes longer, which is unfortunate. That's kind of what I expected, too. When I when I would sit and practice, I'm like, well, this could screw something up, or it's not going to, but I'm not going to not play. So There is that weird thing, though, because they like... I like I had a couple knee surgeries and they essentially like green light you like a week into it to just like yeah start putting weight on it and it's like what like how much and like as much as you, you can handle like I mean don't go play basketball but yeah put some weight it's like are you serious like you just cut parts out of me and like screwed other ones in there and I'm right. supposed to just walk on this and apparently that's good for it like get back into doing what you're supposed to be doing which is kind of crazy so i guess it kind of worked out to be your in your benefit then in the long run oh definitely and it got me to stop playing football football so oh i could just focus on what i wanted yeah yeah true yeah i mean blessing in disguise because i mean like look at all the places you've been so far like even just like on what you've like told me about so that's like honestly pretty sweet so you joined other bands after you uh left aim and did you did you play like did you get to go on any tours or anything like that 
Nope. No. All right. Well, it was mostly. I would rather be a session player if Ooh, I have to session. do anything like that because I do not like leaving my house. I like being with my dogs. I like being with my girlfriend. I'm not a huge fan of traveling anymore. I had my fill. All right. All right. That makes sense. Because uh, I remember you mentioning that once that, like, if you could have it your way, you'd rather just play in the studio than go out and play live. And that's even, like, on, like, a semi-local sense. I mean, you do go play live, but mm-hmm. but your preference is in the studio. So when you went to AIM, I'm sure they offered some sort of, like, recording classes and things like that. I didn't take them. Yeah. I took I took a studio class every quarter I was there, but it was just me recording bass. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about Pro Tools. I didn't have to worry about levels. Mm-hmm. The way they were doing it was my job was to play. The sound engineer's job was to make it sound good. Oh, okay. All right. Which so, is not the best way to go about it Yeah. with where I'm at now because I don't know how to record now. Well, you say that. So you... You showed me that one song you had. Did you record that stuff? Most of it. I played I played everything but the drums. I recorded a sketch on Studio One. Mm-hmm. My roommate was the guy going to school for recording. Okay. So he helped me dial in all the tones I wanted. Nice. So that's that's pretty sweet. I mean I I wish I knew more about recording stuff. And I, I feel like that's something, like, when I was out of high school, that was something that was, like, teased, where, like, uh, some friends of mine were like, let's maybe go to this school and, you know, try it out, and we'd ended up not going to it, but, uh, which is, you know, unfortunate, but it's just the way it works. Uh, I wish I knew more about it. I've tried recording things, and once you start adding too many instruments, it's like, this is difficult now. Like, it... it it could be easy if it's just like an acoustic guitar and a vocal, but it's tough to actually mix things to make them sound good. Everything that I record is either written for a trio or a quartet. It is either two guitars, well, I guess five, two guitars, a singer, drums, and bass, mm-hmm. or it's one guitar, singer, drums, and bass. Yeah, even even that's a lot, though. Like I feel like I have a tough time... like. I've only ever tried to record drums once with, like, uh, a really junky, like, minimalist mic setup, so it probably, like, wasn't the easiest thing to start out with anyways, but, like, mixing drums is hard, like... I won't try it. I, <laughs> I did it. I don't remember what the website is. I got stems for a death metal band, and it was like a, you can learn how to do this, and I looked at it and said, you know what, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that to the people who studied that. While they're studying that, I can keep studying my bass. Oh, yeah, there you go. I mean, do you feel like... I mean, obviously, for those that don't know, like, I've, I've seen you play. You've played with Jesse Wilson before. You've, I've seen you at a jam night before. And, <coughs> and I've seen you kind of just, like, you know, dinking around, like, on your own and stuff. You're, you're very good. I don't, uh, you, you're not really one to just go out there and brag. You're pretty, you know, you keep to yourself. But I'll just say, you're very, very good. So, like, do you feel like it's a... Would you give up some of your quality of bass playing to pick up some studio knowledge? Like, if if that was the trade that somebody offered to no. you? No. No? So you still just think that, like, to you, the bass is like, this is what it is, I'm. this is what I am. Well, my opinion, or I guess the way I see it is, anybody can, at least for the bass stuff I always got hired for, mm-hmm. it's like, 
one five one five country music stuff. Yeah. Most guitar players are able to pull that off. <laughs> True. But if I want to get the better studio gigs, I need to be a better player. Okay, yeah, true. And if I'm a better player, the better sound engineers are going to notice. Yes. Okay, so that totally makes sense. So like you're you're essentially like guaranteeing that you're not you're you're making yourself irreplaceable then. More like adaptable. Okay, I could see that. Cuz I mean, you don't It comes back down to, like, me saying that I played the bass guitar at a show for four hours. Like, once again, it's exactly like you said. It's 1-4. A lot of 1-4, 1-5. Just, it's a lot of real basic stuff, so I can pull it off. But, like, like you said with the adaptability, you showed up to play your first show with Jesse, and he just, did he even send you a, a set list, maybe, or... Jesse, I'm sorry if you're watching this. I didn't look at it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't remember if he sent you one or not. Uh, and it's like, obviously, we knew you could pull it off, which is why we pulled you in. And it was just like, hey, you know, come on, play some songs with us or whatever. But it's still one of those things where it's like, you can lean over and be like, this is, this is the chords we're hitting. And you could figure out what key it's in. And then so if something changes... It comes back to that adaptability you were talking about earlier. You're like, oh, they changed. It's this note. and you... I bet you could... I mean, I'm just assuming you could probably figure that out like on the fly without guessing wrong. Like probably 99% of the time. Does that make, does that make sense? Because like, I feel like if, if, if I'm blindly doing it, I would have to like guess my way to it. And I'd be like, no, that's not it. No, they're not hitting an A. Oh, okay, that's what it is. You know, like, I might take me a few tries almost every time. Even if it is wrong, though, I can usually hear how far off it is. Ooh, that's crazy. That's nuts. So that's almost like hearing a tone and, like, throwing a dart at a map. And just and then you're just like, oh, now I can hear the difference between tone C and tone B. And now I know where B's at. Well, that was something that got drilled into my head when I was at AIM was... pitch identification mm-hmm. so i needed to be able to tell if it was a perfect fourth or a minor third or if it was a dominant Ooh. seven chord like i had to be able to hear that that's crazy that's really nuts i mean like it's it's just based on like the the commonality of music but like the fourth and the fifth fairly easy to recognize mm-hmm. But like you said, once you start getting like full chords and like doing like dominants and diminished and augmenteds, and it's like, what the heck is going on here? Like, right. that's the kind of stuff that uh, my ear I hear is just one full sound, and I can't pick the th- like three or four notes apart. And mm-hmm. I, is that something that took a while to learn, or is that something that you would just like eventually just figured out, or did you had to? Can you hear something? You had to sit down on a piano and plunk it out, or how did you first figure out how to do that? Uh, I stressed out a lot about it because I didn't want to have to use tabs. I wanted, I, I bring that up again because that was the ultimate goal for me was to never have to use them. Huh. I, I just, even now, I will slow something down. If I have to slow it down to learn a solo or some crazy bass part, you know, that's just how it is. But eventually your ear will start to pick up on it. it for everybody, it's different. That's but, so crazy. I don't even know, like, that is honestly just, like, a dream of mine to just, and it's weird because people that 
if there's people that are non-musicians that listen to this that have seen me play they're like you can do you can play by ear and it's like i play by shapes is what i do like that's that's where my brain does like i see patterns on a on a guitar neck and i know what patterns i can hit when and mm-hmm. how and that's like it's not a whole lot different than what you're talking about but it's it's very different than what you're talking about because right I'm, I'm literally just picking a set of rules and following them whereas you're talking about like you could do what i'm doing blindfolded without having to see any shapes at all even though you're could essentially be using the same shapes i'm using i still do fall back on shapes a lot yeah and that's something that i try really hard to fall out of because that means i'm not listening enough i'm playing what i know works i'm not playing what i want to hear Yes, a hundred percent. I feel I feel like it breeds this repetition that is eventually becomes um, guessable. If that makes a good way to say it, like I I like going and playing two and three hour shows because it still feels or, like my solos still feel organic enough by the end if I'm playing them all off the cuff. But once you start getting into four hour long territory, it's like. By the last hour, I'm even tired of hearing my own solos, you know? So, like, right. playing just the shapes. So, like, or, like, sticking to a set of rules and applying it almost every single time. So, like you said, I'm only using what I know works every time, and I'm almost never going outside and trying to figure something new out. But th- that's why I kind of like going to jam nights. Cause you but there's of- a time and a place for it, too. I mean, you can play pentatonics anywhere. Yes. You can get away with playing the blues scale in most situations. Yes. If you're on a country gig and you're playing like a Mixolydian flat six, okay, it's going to sound really bad to a lot of people. <laughs> you might think it sounds great because your ear is looking for it. To those other people, it's going to sound like you're playing a wrong note. Okay. All right. Especially if you ride on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's something I found was like, uh, even if you play a note that's, that should sound good and it doesn't, just like use it as a grace note and get the hell out of there, like as fast as you can. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, here we go. Hey, there, it sounded really good when I stepped away from it, you know? And that's one of the weirdest things about music is I feel like uh, one of the terms that I hear a lot of people use when they talk about music is like where like home is or home base, you know, or what what is the the root note or mm-hmm. whatever. And a lot of people view a lot of songs differently when they are set up a certain way where it's like, see if you're if you're looking at it the guitar way you think this might be the root but if you actually listen to the singing the singing is the melody and it tells you this is the root yeah. it's like oh that's why you can play like guitar like exactly the same guitar solo in like three different keys on here and it almost kind of sounds good like oh okay all right so like that's this weird thing about m- music that is just kind of it's it's weird that that stuff kind of works out. And like you said, uh, sometimes you can play notes that you think should fit and your ear is listening for them, but nobody else is listening for that note and they think it sounds bad. And I feel like that's what a lot of people, when they listen to like most jazz music, think. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Uh, I've equated it on the podcast a multitude of times as like jazz music is music for musicians. It's like not made for regular people. It's almost like a comedian's comedian. Like, they're, like, usually pretty, like, edgy and foul. And it's, like, it's not for everybody, but it makes all the people that tell the jokes laugh because this person's pushing the envelopes, like, even further, you know? So, right. Which is pretty wild. So, like, have you played many jazz-type gigs, like, where you're just, like, literally just going all over the place on the on the neck? Like, It's not something that I've ever been comfortable enough with to where I am seeking it out. 
mm-hmm. but when I would do these corporate gigs, we would do a dinner set. I went, I was in a band with a guitar player who had a master's in jazz guitar <laughs> and gave me no chances to say no. <laughs> if I was supposed to solo over Donnelly, I was going to solo over Donnelly. He, I got no opportunity not to. <laughs> um, so was, when you played like those types of things with a lot of walking bass or was there... 99% of what I did was walking. Was that... Was that tough to learn, or was that like one of the first things you learned on bass? It is. I didn't learn it very well until college because I was constantly overthinking it. Hmm. And I still do because I hear all of these people like Paul Chambers and John Patitucci who are just monsters. And it sounds like they're doing all this crazy walking stuff, but they're not. They're starting on like the third of the chord, the fifth of the chord, the seventh on the chord. They're not starting on the root. Yes. And it makes it sound like it's a lot more complex than it actually is. That's the thing. Oh, my gosh. I've I've said it before also on this podcast. Playing the bass guitar is not hard, but playing it well is hard. And that, that comes right back down to like walking with a bass. When I first figured out like the formula, it's almost like playing the pentatonic. You're like, oh, this formula works every time. And you just start doing it every time. And then you start to figure out the like, oh, this, this is starting to sound like, you know, redundant. It's just, it's overused. And then you're like, oh, this is what all the beginners use. And this is what all like the, you know, low end cover bands. This is like, and I'm not trying to like pick on anyone, but like, this is all the basic walking that everyone learns how to do first. And there's so many people are so much better at it. And it's like just such a weird thing, like you said, like you start on the third instead and it would create this formula that's completely different instead of just always starting on the root. But you know what the big thing is when people are trying to learn how to do the walking bass? Nobody's listening. Nobody is transcribing what these guys are doing. Like Paul Chambers or I can't think of somebody else off the top of my head for some reason. Um nobody's sitting down and transcribing it. They're more concerned about what Coltrane's doing, what Brecker is doing. Yeah. They're not worrying about what the bass player is doing. And as a bass player, why wouldn't you be paying attention to what the bass player is doing? That's true. That's true. You're playing into the guitar player's hands at that point. That's true. So yeah, if you pay attention to the bassist, you get to learn all the, I mean, that's, that's very true. Instead of just playing what the, that's, you bring up a lot of good points with just that. I mean, but it's so crazy, like, how many of these, like, uh, things that you think, it's like, man, why is this so difficult? Why does this sound so much different when this person does it than when I do it or something like that? And it's like, oh, it's because you just need to take, like, the next step and go to the next the next level with it. And all of a sudden, it's like, look how much more textured this can get. Um, but even, even, if, even when you're playing it note for note, I mean, a lot of the way you feel about something is based on how you initially heard it, how you felt when you heard it. Okay. The first time, because, you know, I can play Les Claypool bass lines. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound anything like Les Claypool. It does not sound as good as Les Claypool. Yeah. Same I, thing with Flea, because I don't get excited about it as much when I play it as I did when they played it the first time I heard it. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, so some of that's, like, you know, imprinted on, on you, and some of that's also just, like, also on the artist that initially played it and recorded it. So, mm-hmm. like... It's, that's kind of a good point, though, too. I mean, uh, if you're out there playing music and you don't really, if you're not feeling it, I feel like that comes out of your instrument. Like, um, I believe the first, 
one of the first shows we played together, I had this thing where I was just like, I'm going to repeat a phrase in a solo over and over again until somebody just looks at me and was like, what are you doing? And so I just did that. I repeated like a triplet just over and over again until you finally like looked at me and I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go somewhere else with it. But that's, that's kind of what it was where I was like, I'm exhausted for playing all these solos. I'm running out of ideas. I'm just, I'm, I wasn't feeling it this song and it was just like, let's just see what happens with this. And it was, I made a game out of it and it were, everything worked and nobody, nobody in the bar threw any tomatoes. So everything was okay. But yeah, it's, it's true. If you're not feeling it, I feel like people will notice and it didn't, you know, it didn't take you long to notice. And it was like our second show together. So that's a, a very good point. Um, I recall seeing tool once and uh, none of them ever looked excited when they were playing, but I also kind of attributed that to they're probably paying attention because they're all playing weird polyrhythms. Or they've played all these songs five bazillion times and they're tired of it. I'm not dogging on Tool, <laughs> so don't, don't take it that way. But when Michael Brecker solos... <laughs> You can still hear that he's feeling it, and yeah. he's playing some hot licks. Yeah. So I don't, I don't give it a hundred percent. That tool is great. They have incredible stage shows. Yeah, it's wild. I do wish that they had more energy on stage, though. Yes. Okay, so it's not, it's not just me that thinks that. Like, like Adam Jones, guitarist, right? Yeah, I was standing like right in front of him, and he just looked bored almost. But like, I, like I said. If I had to play some of the stuff like they're doing, I would have to really concentrate because, like, even just to like play along with what they're playing in a basement, you know, it's like this isn't easy, right? So, it's it's just wild. I I've always enjoyed being around people that are like super good musicians because I've I've always just kind of been like I want to be a good musician, but I just don't have the time and energy and devotion to put into it like a lot of you guys have. So like. Being around people like you, it's just kind of a, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air because it, it reminds me that like, you know, you're a human and this is attainable and I, and you kind of like lift my spirits and it's, it's kind of like being around people who are better musicians makes me a better musician, uh, not only by proxy, but also like, you know, after the fact, because it, it drives me to go further. So was there anybody around that was like that for you? Was there anybody that was like kind of your inspiration to kind of get get you going further or was there like a buddy that was like your right hand man that played guitar with you through high school while you played or was like a drummer dude or something was it the college roommates were they the ones that were finally like boom i've always just found them i've always just found people like that and mm -hmm. the very few times that i didn't have them i was still very much on a path to where i wanted to go mm -hmm. um my best friend growing up was a drummer Okay. And his parents, bless their hearts, had to listen to some... Am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, podcast? absolutely. Had to listen to some of the most bullshit <laughs> music <laughs> over and over again. Uh, yeah. I mean, listening to us butcher Tom Sawyer by Rush. <laughs> That's cool, though. That's cool. I mean, it was like the South Park episode. It was <laughs> just awful. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The... I don't want to. Okay, so if anybody's a Rush fan and you're a South Park fan, go look up uh, Rush when they went on tour. Actually, uh, the guys from South Park made a sketch just for Rush, and that's uh, hilarious. So watch it. Yeah, but it's my biggest regret, man, is not getting to see them. Oh, I got There's to nothing I regret more. I got to see their 40th anniversary tour twice, and then I got to see them once in Canada as well. 
my girlfriend will not watch the Rush documentary with me anymore. Oh, it's so good. Literally, uh, I've watched that, and I've watched The Runaways with Kristen Stewart to the point where she will not watch them with me anymore. The Rush documentary, I haven't rewatched since Neil Peart died, which I feel like I feel like Neil Peart dying makes that documentary even sadder yeah. now. So, but it is it is damn good because it's so funny that they'll go places and Alex Lifeson doesn't get noticed. <laughs> They're getting Kenny Lee's autograph, and Alex Lifeson's eating a waffle right next to him. And they're just like, okay. Like, I hate saying it though, but if Getty Lee was not next to him, and I saw Alex Lifeson walking through Walmart, probably wouldn't know it was him because everybody looks different. Everybody does look. It's I'm bad at seeing people on TV, and even like I don't care who it was. I don't care if it was Ozzy Osbourne or like you know, name a dead guy that's super famous and everybody knows who he looks. Like. It doesn't matter. I wouldn't be able to pick him out from a crowd. It, but. You're right. Alex Lifeson does have a very like everyday guy kind of look to him. Like, but that's a good thing. That's he a did great not thing. Let all of the money he has get to his head like that. True. He's not driving around in a Bugatti. He's not walking around in hundred thousand dollar suits every day. Like, dude's just a dude for the sake of being that's, a dude. That's true. That's true. He's been on he's been on TV shows and stuff. He's a really funny guy. Uh, did you ever? see their induction into the rock and roll hall of fame mm-hmm. where he just did the gibberish yeah he uh just got up there and the whole deal with this was they were kind of like upset that it took so long because it took like a lot of people writing in and complaining for them to finally like be like okay i guess rush's rock and roll will let him in or whatever but he just went up there and he goes blah 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 and he just like starts doing that a whole bunch and then he stops and he gets his glasses out and he gets a piece of paper out of his jacket pocket. And he goes, blah, 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 blah. And he just keeps doing it. And the whole gist was uh, he did it. And he's like, I think I did it so long at the beginning that now if I give a speech, it's going to be stupid. So he just, <laughs> he had a speech on the sheet of paper in front of him that he was actually going to say. And he just like kept going with it. So <laughs> I don't know. Those, they're absolutely hilarious. I love that documentary. I'm a huge Rush fan. They're um, in my top three favorite bands of all time. Oh, they're super good. They're super... I mean... I think in the documentary, they just put it down. And it kind of, like, makes sense. Because, I mean, it, it fits the bill for what you are. I mean, it's it was, like, three people who were just, like, hyperactive and wanted to learn everything about their instrument they could. And that kind of explains, like, Rush as a whole. Because, I mean, like, their music's rock and roll, but it's, like... It's not just straight power chords with, like, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo. It's, like weird stuff with crazy bridges and well i was reading something not too long ago like within the last couple of weeks where getty lee was talking about he doesn't like writing choruses because he doesn't know how <laughs> so that's, they just don't <laughs> that's hilarious that's so funny i i i mean neil pert obviously is the one writing a lot of the lyrics for it but there's I'm, I'm sure a lot of it gets changed and morphed around like you know to fit the song as everything does but like it makes sense though too i mean what's What's the excuse for Def Leppard then? They just wrote like every single song they wrote. They didn't write verses. It was all just pre-choruses and choruses. Yeah, don't get me started on Def Leppard, man. <laughs> this is a podcast. I can't go that far. Now I'm going to ask you the questions. Right. What's your favorite Rush album? Oh shoot. I, I mean, as greasy as it sounds, like I've probably listened to the Rush and Rio album more than more than any album. Um, is a live album? It's a live album. That doesn't album. count. That's a live album. Um, it's like saying their greatest hits. 
<laughs> I mean, if if you want if you want to say the second most listened to, it would it's actually a greatest hits one. Um, what was the one that nobody liked? Was it Snakes and Arrows? What was kind of people were kind of like that yeah. album was great. I don't. I think that's what you're talking about. I don't know why people don't like it. Uh, there's a couple Rush albums that even Rush fans are like. Ee, I don't know about that. That's because Getty likes his synthesizers. That's true, and they did go through that. Uh, was it the Roll the Bones? Like that whole phase where, like, even on Rush, the like R forty tour, that song came out and people went nuts because they were just like, it's like the the lovable stepchild of Rush. You know, they're just like, ah, this song, Nito, right. Oh, uh, cool. You know, so I don't know. It, 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 they became a band that I celebrated the entire discography. And like I said, there's some albums that n- might not be my favorite. What, like, a Crest the Steel is like kind of super story songs, you know, like. Let me double check and see what album this is actually on because I, I don't want to screw this up. And I don't have my phone, so I can't. I mean, people are going to light me up if I'm wrong, but I. Th- it's like what Rush is like third album maybe or fourth. They even talked about it in the documentary how they started like getting too weird, and there was yeah, Snakes and Arrows has Far Cry. That's his best baseline. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says that that baseline is so melodic while still being a solid baseline. Do you feel like that's a tough line to to follow because? I've seen enough bassists and played in with enough bassists to know that there is like, you can be the rhythm guy, or you can just be all over the map, and uh, being all over the map is cool, but it doesn't really lend itself to adding any rhythm to what's going on. But that's that's kind of the thing with that bass line. Like, you have to listen to that later because it's he's singing while playing this super melodic yet still rhythmic bass line to where it doesn't feel like it's fighting with the guitar at all like ah. whatsoever all right. and it's the same way that Les Claypool plays where he's doing a lot of crazy stuff yep DMV is a perfect example of that okay but it is or Jerry was a race car driver yes playing all this crazy stuff but it still sounds like a solid bass line in my opinion those two are some of the ones that have mastered it the best that's crazy. Yeah, and I'm they just, sing on top of it. Yeah, which is, it's mind blowing. Uh, it's absolutely mind blowing. It's so funny because it seems like an easy default where it's like, well, the bassist. I mean, he's only playing one note at a time. Have him sing. It's like some of the the most memorable, note, notable bassist singers are like the craziest bassist singers out there. Tom Mariah doesn't get enough credit for that from Slayer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Slayer was very very good live. Um, man. That, I, it was almost like one of the ones that was like shocking. I was like, I wasn't ready for that. Did you see them on the Behemoth tour? I saw them with Megadeth and Testament. Okay. So Testament was one of my favorite bands growing up. Testament was one I didn't get into until after high school, and I was just like, how come, how come everyone listens to like the Big Four and these guys are like left aside? I'd cut Anthrax in a heartbeat. What? In a heartbeat, dude. Anthrax is my favorite because they don't fit the mold. Like, all of the big four, they're just like, we are serious. All of our songs are about death and destruction and body dismemberment. And Anthrax is just like, I'm the man. It's like, what? Like Someone said that Dave Mustaine tried to get Slayer kicked out. I don't know if that's true because I know what people do. 
Um, <laughs> they'll probably do that to this podcast. I'm going to get labeled as a bad guy after this. No, no, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're the Dave Mustaine of the scene. <laughs> I, because of, if that was true, I would switch Megadeth for Testament in a heartbeat. Chuck Billy's voice is monstrous. Dude, it's, it is, it's huge. It's like, it's a weird way to describe it, but it's, it's, oh my gosh. It doesn't feel like it should be coming from one person. It has the fullness of an opera singer. With yeah. grittiness behind it. That's what it is. It's, man, it's so good. It's one of those other ones too, where it's like, I, I didn't listen to enough Testament to know like every single song. So like every now and then you'd be like somewhere and you'd be like, Hey, is this Testament? It sounds like Chuck Billy. It's like, yeah, it's Testament. It's like, awesome. I picked that one out, you know? Well, their bass player is the dude from, I want to say Gene Hoagland's their drummer right now, but I might be wrong. But I do know that Steve DiGiorgio from Death is their bass player. Oh, and crazy. that dude. Uh, yes. Uh, I've listened to some Death and none of it look, you know, none of it sounds easy. Not even, not even the drumming is just insane on that stuff. It's so out there. That was the first YouTube cover I ever posted was Crystal Mountain. Oh my God. That's like one of my favorites, yeah, dude. That's my favorite album by well, them. It's so good, which is, it's almost like cheating to say that because it's like Crystal Mountain's almost like the most publicly digestible song they have. Cause I mean, it's, it sounds, there's like, oh, this has sections to it that are. There's a reason for it though. There is a reason that it is that way because it's a good song. It's super good. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to listen to that. It's like Enter Sandman. People can get mad about it all they want. It's still a good song. Yeah. I, I've, I'm so torn on that. It's kind of like the whole, uh, Nickelback sucks. It's like, dude, they wrote music that, uh, a zillion people bought and love. So are they wrong? Like. I don't know if they're wrong. Like, mine is just, just not. I always try to say it's not made for me. If it's something I don't like and I'm crapping on it and it's still good, but I don't know. You're. It's been awesome. I, what do we got? We're over an hour already, dude. It's uh, it's kind of crazy. It doesn't doesn't really feel like an hour's gone by. And uh, easy conversation. Hopefully, we've gotten enough out of this. Um, I guess like the only, the last question is uh what what made you come back to Four Dodge? That's how we're gonna tie it all back. COVID. COVID. It's uh <laughs> it's sucky, but it's it's a uh, it's a crappy one word answer. I knew the answer already, so. Well, now I got two dogs and a bunch of other animals and a girlfriend, so I'll probably be here for a bit. Nice, nice. So at least have you around for a little while to to hang out. So uh, yeah, if people want to see you live, they can come see uh Jesse Wilson uh full band show. You are essentially the basis that we got. Uh, you've, you've been playing with us for the majority of this year. So yeah, uh, we do have full band shows kind of coming up. I don't have my calendar on me. So this, I think this comes July out. July 3rd. Yeah. I think this comes out after that. I'm, just, oh, I'm trying to think of, I got nothing. There. I got to count out the weeks, but yeah, if, uh, if this isn't after July 3rd, that's the date. Uh, we'll be what twin lakes maybe i don't know seven o'clock to ten o'clock or somewhere yeah we're doing stuff check us out online uh jesse wilson music otherwise you do have uh you do have one song posted uh online under an alias should we should we tell people what it is or just yeah all right the song's called lizard man it's about mark zuckerberg and his trial uh the band is called captain jub and the spoa that's s-p-o-a so go ahead and check that out too. Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you what, I'll toss a link to it down below to uh at least Spotify or something. So and if you don't have Spotify then It's on fuck. iTunes, it's on all I use DistroKid, it's on everything. Alright, alright, yeah, definitely. So uh we'll put that down there in the description section somewhere and uh dude, this is awesome. 
like I said, I mean, I've I've literally only known you like maybe not even the majority of this year, you know, or maybe just like you know part of 2022, which is crazy to think of. And uh, here we're in a band together, and it's been great to actually sit down and ask you all the questions and and kind of pick your brain in a way that uh, seems more natural than me just trying to pick your brain in the green room at a show or something. Because <laughs> wouldn't it be weird if we're just like getting ready for a show? It's like, hey, so what about all this stuff? And I'm just like grilling you with 40 questions. Like, Dude, I, mean, I can talk for hours, so <laughs> honestly. All right. All right, man. Uh, let's, let's build some more stories and we'll bring you back on again. Sounds good. All right. We'll see you. Thank you. Hats off to Jacob Williamson. Holy moly, I was grilling him with some weird questions in there. I mean, it's it's like asking somebody how they trained their ear is almost like trying to like describe a color to somebody who's colorblind. It just like almost doesn't make sense. So uh, hats off to him for, for providing actually some really good explanations for how he did what he did. And uh, when he couldn't, he was just like, I don't know how else to explain it. This is just how we did it. So... Uh, you know, hats off to him. It's it's really, really cool to hear his story going out there. Uh, you know, I just, I know a few people that have been to music schools and done things like that. And, you know, I'm, I didn't go to any music school. I did end up going back to college as an adult, but uh, I would love to, uh, you know, I guess, I guess I would love to have the passion that he has for playing music. Uh, we talked a lot about playing bass in this, but before and after the interview, he was actually playing guitar and he's... <laughs> He's a damn good guitarist, too. So don't undersell him on that. Holy moly. And we were talking about that this episode. He played violin. I mean, I don't feel like anything's off limits for this guy. It's uh, it's pretty wild. I had, a, I had a blast sitting down talking with him. I had a blast hem-hawing with him before, during, and after. If you guys want to hear some other really fun Jacob Williamson sh- stories, just uh, hit him up before, during, or after his show. Eh, probably not during, though. He's probably going to be playing. I hit him up before or after his show. He's probably got some more fun stories that I didn't unearth in this episode. Uh, like I said, it's it's wild to, to know there's people that are out there going to school for this uh, to be not just performers, but like also recording artists, studio musicians, teachers or instructors and things of that level. Uh, you know, it's just all these things that I'm pulling off on a novice level that it, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't undersell myself too much. But when you're around people like Jacob, it's hard not to. Holy moly, that guy's got some talent. So like I said, if go out and find him playing at a show somewhere he uh, occasionally hits up jam nights uh depending on where they're at sometimes uh, i have seen him at a couple but uh otherwise yeah he plays with jesse wilson he plays bass with him when he does full band shows and man on, honestly one of the best basses i've seen out there so uh it's it's he's just so smooth smooth like butter and that's just it's just something special, man. Uh, gosh, bassists are a different breed. Those bassists, they can do things that uh, just aren't easy to do, you know? And it's, I've said it before on the podcast, it's not difficult to play the bass, but I think playing the bass well is more difficult than playing the guitar well. I'm, that's just my opinion. I'm going to stick to it. But uh, hats off to Jacob for sitting down talking with me. Thank you very much uh, for joining me, Jacob, if you're listening back to this. And uh, thank you guys for joining me for listening to this. I The only link I'm going to share down below, uh, I might share some Jesse Wilson music links. Uh, otherwise, Jacob, I know he's uh, released uh, one song, uh, but it's out there somewhere. I'm not sure if I'll share that one or not. I might. I think I will. You know what? I'm going to try and find it. I know it's on Spotify. I know it's probably on everything else that you can stream because that's just uh, the way of the world these days. So... 
Uh, check out down below for some links. Otherwise, uh, yeah, just go find him online somewhere. He's uh, tons of fun. He's, he's a cool guy. Uh, like I said, I had fun hanging out with him before and after the podcast. He's a super cool dude. So, Jacob, thank you. Uh, thank you guys all for listening. Check out down below for all the other Audible Farm links, uh, such as the shop, the Patreon channel, and uh, also the website in general, the YouTube channel. I mean, there's all sorts of links down below. I will have to say this week that I'm not sure what happened uh, with the video, but there's no video this week. Jake is uh, Jacob has lucked out. Jacob definitely got lucky on this one. Uh, I don't know. Not that it's unlucky to be on, on video, but it's uh, the only time it's actually like truly 100% failed and didn't save a video for me for, for whatever reason or another. So... Uh, you know, it's weird. You start the recording, you walk away, you assume it's going to be happening, and then when you get done with the podcast, there's nothing on the recorder. So, I don't know. I do know for a fact I did record it. I have literally two seconds of the beginning of the interview, and then I don't know what happened. Um, usually, when it runs out of space, uh, it'll at least save what it can, but I have no clue what happened this week with the, uh, with the video. So, there's no Patreon video this week, and uh, yeah, so, Lucky Jake, Lucky Jacob, he said it in the beginning, don't he doesn't like to be called Jake. So, Jacob, uh, apologies. But, hey, check out that Patreon channel if you're looking for video versions of the podcast. They're all on there except for this week uh, due to some technical issues or whatever you want to call it. So, uh, thank you guys for listening each and every week. I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, I'll check you later. Peace. Peace.